Please pronounce your name correctly for me. My name is Christina Giliotti. And you are an American who has lived in the Czech Republic and is currently living in Berlin. And you are a curator, correct? Independent curator. Yes, I'm a freelance curator. Exactly. So my fir first thing I always want to know about people just to get us going on them is basically how did you even come to the creative industries? So you know, were your parents creative? Did you have some great teachers? Did you have some interesting experiences in your childhood that sort of led you down this path? I always loved art history, I guess. I had a great teacher in high school and I thought I wanted to become an artist. So I took a lot of drawing classes and I applied to Parsons, the new school for design with a drawing portfolio. And yeah, my first semester, I just realized that I kind of sucked <laughs> and that I wasn't enjoying drawing anymore at all because we had these like six hour long studio classes where you have to, you know, draw these nude models and things like that. And I just realized that I actually liked writing about art a lot more than, yeah, making it myself. Yeah, it's, I don't know, I guess I get bored easily and art was one thing that never bored me. So I sort of stuck with it for a while and up till now. Up till now, are you implying there's going to be some change in the future? <laughs> no, I'm sure it won't. I always find a way to sort of keep things interesting somehow. And yeah, just the research or meeting people, conversations and whatnot. And you came to Europe, so you were born and raised in America. You, you mentioned off-air Philadelphia. And then you went, went, how old were you when you came to Europe? I think I was 19 or 20. I first, I studied abroad in Prague and I really loved it. I just, I don't know, I had such a great time. And I came back to New York City to finish my last year at Parsons and couldn't find a job. I had like a million internships that led to nothing. <laughs> And I just thought, okay, well, I don't want to stay in New York. I can't afford to stay in New York. So I moved back to Prague to get my master's and never left, actually. <laughs> the master's program was supposed to be only two years, but I ended up staying for six. So You really stretched that education. I did. As long as possible. Yeah. Sort of in the middle of my master's degree, I started working full-time at Meat Factory. I'm not sure if you know what Meat Factory is, but... Let's assume the listeners don't. I do but assume they don't. Yeah, sure. So Meat Factory, it's like a multidisciplinary art space in Prague 5. And I started interning there and then working there full-time as the PR manager and just kind of gaining experience, basically. I ended up, ended up working there for two years. So my studies kind of got put on the back burner, but I was really happy just to get a job in Prague and kind of meet all the art people. That was like the best way to meet people was just spending all my time at Meat Factory, at the openings, at the, you know, concerts, stuff like that. So I was pretty great, grateful to work there. So curating, you're an independent curator. Define for me like what a modern independent curator is, because to a certain extent, bear with me, I'm old. <laughs> Back in my age, when I was young, the there weren't such things really as independent curators. Curators yeah. worked at institutions. So this this the idea of an independent curator to me is still sort of a reasonably new thing. 
and I feel like there are sort of different definitions of what that role is in mm -hmm. the art world, uh, depending on who you talk to. Mm -hmm. So I want to know what your definition of that is. I guess in the most basic sense, I don't work on a salary basis. So I'm not contracted to anyone or any institution or gallery. Most of what I do is just project based. So that means that, yeah, my schedule is sort of full of a lot of different stuff. We're just working with a lot of different, could be commercial galleries, institutions, project spaces. I sort of can do, I guess, yeah, it's a little bit more freeing in that way, but also a little bit scary because of course I don't have any guarantee of getting paid next month. <laughs> For now, I definitely prefer the independent or sort of freelance position. I think it, it suits me because I, I don't know, stuff is more on my terms, I guess. Within that, I always wonder about curators because how does it all work? like from the get-go like okay just bear with me on my on my thing like because i know it sounds really vague and open-ended do you just sit around and, and and don't get me wrong i'm not saying this in a mean or derogatory way <laughs> no because people think the same thing about artists and professors and so it's not that but like do you sit around and are you do you, are you suddenly inspired to say like oh wait that's a thing that i've been noticing a lot in society i should do uh you know create a structure of an art installation or exhibition based on this thing that I'm seeing? Or are you sort of given some parameters by your the people who hire you? Or And then, of course, like, do you apply for funding yourself or do other people apply for funding and then pay you? Mm. So like, and like, do you propose your exhibitions or do people come to you and ask you for exhibitions? Like I, I literally have no idea. Tell me everything. Okay. <laughs> I am never prompted with say topics or themes really from, from the institution or, or from the gallery. Like in a sense, yes, I do sit around and think about exhibition topics, but a lot of it just comes, honestly comes from just daily daily life. I mean, conversations with people or books that I'm reading or yeah, just research, you know, if I, I mean, I like linking, I like making connections, I guess. And in my mind, like a lot of exhibitions that I've done are more or less connections between artist practices that I see, if I see similarities or something like that. It's a lot of proposals. I mean, I started out with no experience whatsoever in Prague and basically just like knocked on all these doors of different galleries and project spaces with proposals in mind already, whether it was just like proposing one artist to them or proposing, you know, a concept for a group exhibition. So yeah, it's a lot of like, I guess, legwork in that way. I'm never really given any kind of topic or any kind of like you know, path that I should take. It's up to, to me and up to the artists, basically. You're kind of given, at least at this point for me now, I'm basically given like a blank slate. But of course, people can, you know, reject my ideas at any moment. So that ha that's happened. <laughs> it's, it's, I would say it's like that. And then, of course, with applying for funding, you obviously have to have some concept in mind and you, uh, you have to have things more or less already laid out and try to have as many concrete details as humanly possible when it comes to funding. And I don't apply for grants that often because I actually don't like working that way really. I, I kind of 
like making impulse decisions and yeah, more, I, I like working in a more spontaneous kind of last minute way. So <laughs> applying for funding is, is hard for me because you have to kind of, you know, once you set the parameters, you have to abide by them. Well, that, that's one of my issues with the contemporary granting funding rigmarole is that like as a creative person, I feel like I don't even know what I'm going to be doing well tomorrow, like mm-hmm. much less six months from now or a year from now. But when it comes to like granting funding and even partly what you do often, which is, you know, uh, planning for exhibitions six months or a year or two years in advance, mm-hmm. that you have to sort of think think ahead literally and be like, okay, what are people, what am I going to be thinking about or what are artists going to be working on or what are the public going to be interested in six months or a year, two years from now? I imagine that's very difficult. I think it was difficult for me in the beginning. Like when I worked at Meat Factory, I was working under these other curators and they would be applying for grants, like for projects that, you know, would be two years later. And I was kind of I had this exact thought, yeah, like I have no idea what I'll be doing in my life in two years. How can I possibly plan a project, you know? But now I think I just got used to it and I have like a completely different sense of time. Like maybe my sense of time is totally messed up now because I just think in the present and like that two years is also kind of in the present anyway. (laughs) I don't know. You have to, you kind of have to just come to terms with that weird, weird timeline. And also imagine that like things you're interested in now, you're definitely still going to be interested in in a year. So maybe it takes, maybe, I don't know, for me, I'm like, it takes me a really long time to kind of, I don't know, concretize like my thought, thoughts into something tangible, like into an exhibition. So I might start with something really small, like some research topic or something. And then it takes me a whole year even to make something out of it. So I kind of like like to think of things in that way. Like I'll start with something very small and then try to sort of keep forming like this huge, I don't know, like network around it. And then, yeah, it takes a while. So, Well, and from what I understand about independent curators, it's even more than that. And to me, it seems like it's exponentially more complicated than that because not only do you have to be thinking about like, let's say an exhibition you're doing in this one place six months from now, at the same time, you also have to be saying, well, while this one's already signed and done deal, I'm just going to go ahead and start doing planning for proposing this other project that's going to be a year from now. And I'm going to start thinking about this other project that may be two years from now. So like you all don't just like sit down and devote all your time to one project for a year you have to actually be juggling you know proposals and realities and openings and installations with planning and thinking and that's very difficult (laughs) yeah i mean it's a lot of juggling but at the same time i i think i prefer it to just working for one big project because then there's just so much pressure whereas if you are juggling multiple projects at a time you kind of don't have the time to be nitpicking or like nervous or kind of micromanaging stuff. Like you have to just like make decisions a lot quicker. But if you just have like one project, then I feel like, I don't know, for me, I always would just absolutely freak out or kind of second guess myself because you have the time. (laughs) You have the time to really overthink stuff. And I feel like if I just keep myself busy with like 10 things at once, then I sort of have more confidence or something in the projects that I'm doing and kind of 
yeah, you kind of keep up this fast paced energy or something, you know, but if you slow down, it's like harder to get there again or something. So I try to have multiple stuff happening at the same time, always, just so I don't sort of, yeah, fall into this trap of like cracking under pressure, basically. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I generally have the po policy that's basically like busy begets busy and lazy begets lazy. <laughs> like when it rains it pours kind of thing like yeah. so, so w when you're busy stay busy because there will be a time in the future where you're not busy and so yeah definitely i definitely feel that way because you never know <laughs> especially now i mean all of my projects i guess since february basically all of my projects got either delayed or canceled like within a week you know because of the because of corona so anything can happen <laughs> keep telling me more about this statements, text, mm -hmm. how important is good art statements these days in contemporary art? For me, the texts have always been really important. I'm sure that a lot of people don't share that sentiment because I know a lot of people go to exhibitions and don't read the texts at all. But for me, they've always been really, really important. And I feel like I started out curating, like the texts have always just been sort of the most important thing for me as showing my work kind of, because of course, like you're working with artists, but the curator is more or less invisible if it's say a solo show or something like that. So I feel like the, the text is a really important thing to try to get right and try to reflect like what's going on in the exhibition. That being said, like my writing style has changed a lot over the past five years or six years. Yeah. I'm kind of like, going back and forth with different formats and things like that, but always trying to, of course, like encompass the kind of vibe of the exhibition, so to speak. And yeah, I always try to read the texts when I go to, when I go to exhibitions, but of course, like I don't always, even though I should. <laughs> well, I, I find that oftentimes, I mean, to make a really beautiful, poignant text for an exhibition is really difficult. Um, you know, I, from my opinion, when I go to a lot of exhibitions, I either run into either one of two things. It's usually either too high intellectual and academic mm -hmm. or too dumbed down and really rather rudimentary. Mm -hmm. But it, when they, when they hit that beautiful spot, it, it can be, the text can make a, an entire exhibition exponentially better. Okay. If, if done well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm aiming for, I hope, because I personally hate these really didactic kind of like uh, international art speak texts where they just, I don't know, the texts like abstract the exhibition even more. And I find that really annoying because I want to understand what's going on or have some like inkling of an, of an idea of what the artist wanted to uh, share or sort of say. And then, yeah, it's really often that you walk into galleries and the texts are like just unreadable because they're trying to make they're trying to like validate the art even more than it needs to be validated or it doesn't need to be validated actually at all yeah I think the text should just serve to sort of support the exhibition and translate maybe a little bit to the audience like what's happening or what the artist wanted to say yeah in that case a lot of texts fail gloriously <laughs> I don't know for for my texts at least I'm it's it, they're different every single time the format is different sometimes the artist will be involved or tell me you know that they might want something a little bit more descriptive or i mean more often than not they just tell me to write whatever i want and 
<laughs> it works. So I always like send my text to the artist first before they get published, of course. But but yeah, I mean, it's really it's really difficult to to try to encapture that kind of feeling or atmosphere of the exhibitions. Do you work with artists, not with exhibitions? So like just helping an artist maybe write an artist statement for their own use or for grant writing or for residency applications or any of these kinds of things? Oh yeah. I used to do this a lot more than I do now, but I still do. But when I lived in Prague, I think I was kind of like the go-to person for all of my artists' friends to help them write their, uh, just everything like bios and you know, applications and things like that. And after a while, I was like, hey, guys, I like, I know I'm a native English speaker, I know that I can help you out. And it won't take much time. But it was just like getting to be a little bit too much. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, of course, I, I think that it's, it can be hard for artists to have to write about their work, because, of course, the whole point is that they're making work. And I think maybe sometimes it can be unfair that, of course, they have to explain it too. Yeah, I can't imagine how difficult that would be. Yes, I, I hate it with a passion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to the day when in my career that I can have a, a grant writer and a social media person to do all this stuff for me because yeah. I'm so horrible at these things. Yeah, you need a PR person. <laughs> I would love a PR person. As soon as I can, at the moment I can afford one from my art sales, I will gladly hire one. <laughs> yeah, just to take care of all your like social media and stuff. <laughs> Well, and, or, you know, and assistance with artist statements and all this stuff kind of stuff. Cause like, I don't, uh, I don't feel that artists should be obligated to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I also, I definitely have sympathy for artists in this regard. I actually, now I'm just remembering there's like an AI generated artist statement maker that you can, <laughs> that you can use. Maybe I know some people who actually use it. You just type in like these little keywords and then it spits out paragraphs and paragraphs. It's pretty good, actually. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't be able to tell if like a robot or uh, actual institutional person wrote it, I think. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So, so when you approach writing any sort of text for whatever, it's like, what, so what are some things that you either try to accomplish or try to stay away from? I try to stay away from, I guess I'll start with that, <laughs> overly describing what's in the space because people have eyes and they don't need me to tell them every single detail of what they're already looking at. I think that's really, really pointless. And I try now, I mean, I try to stay away from overly theoretical texts. Like I don't want to overcomplicate things more than they need to be. And I don't think it's always necessary to bring in like sort of heavy hitting philosophers to <laughs> every single exhibition. But what I do try to do, I guess, is create a kind of narrative around the show. I mean, a lot of times the texts that I write, you might even ask yourself, like, is this related to the exhibition? <laughs> yeah, I try to create narratives or create a kind of like atmosphere or just kind of like take details from the works and turn that into writing, if that makes sense. I, I guess like I, I try to, I mean, I, I talk to the artists always, like we have, you know, conversations about this all the time and I kind of try to take what they're saying and just say that in my own way, I guess, and kind of add to it if I can, you know, add to the sort of universe that they're creating, maybe expand upon it in some way. Well, that's, that's my position. Like when a curate, when I have the opportunity to have a curator come in and do some writing on my works and stuff, I will gladly let them write whatever they want because 
I know my world and okay. I know my work, but what I feel like a curator does and has the ability to do that I cannot do is figure out a way to translate what I've created in the studio into something that is more accessible. Mm-hmm. They have that ability to connect. They 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 can take what the artist is thinking and try and figure out how a a collector or a, or a gallery or an institution or just the general public would be able to engage with that work more mm-hmm. effectively than I could express. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think I'm always looking for stuff that's uh, relatable. You know, that's obviously what's what draws me to certain pieces of art, other you know, as opposed to others if I feel like I can relate to it in some way. Great lead in for <laughs> me. Good big question that I'm sure you get a million times. Oh, oh no. <laughs> How do you choose your artists that you work with? Oh no. With? It's, uh, it, it, I know it's unique. It's individuals, <laughs> blah, 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 this. I'm sure there are some things, some elements that you start noticing. Like for instance, like, the, like this is one of the things that I keep thinking about. Like certain curators work with certain mediums more than others okay certain curators work with certain like um political artwork or non-political artwork or figurative work or non-figurative works like what are some of the kinds of things that just catch your attention when i started out i feel like i only understood painting (laughs) and i quickly realized that i definitely had to like expand my sort of knowledge about art and different mediums and things like that but now i wouldn't say that i'm Yeah, it doesn't have to do with the medium at all. I think actually now I'm more choosing, I mean, I would say it's maybe 50-50 with choosing the artist and choosing their work. Whereas like before I might not know someone and I would still invite them to have an exhibition somewhere. And now I feel like it's really important for me to get to know people. And I would say, I mean, I do a lot of studio visits. So this is one way that I'm able to kind of screen, I guess. And I feel like the best studio visits that I have are the ones where I'm, I'm there and I'm talking to someone for, you know, two hours. And I feel like I, I really uh, get to know them and get to know their work. And it's, it's really personal for me, I guess. It's not, I wouldn't say like now, I wouldn't say that I would just, you know, research someone's work online and then automatically invite them to do something. I feel like the, the human connection is like, it's gotten more and more important for me as I've been working. I don't know why that is. I think it might just be because I I also want this to be fun. (laughs) And I think it's important to, yeah, to get to know people before you work with them because it is such a sensitive sort of field to work in. Yeah. I just found that the most sort of like enjoyable and pleasant working relationships that I, I have happened to be with, you know, people who I have, gotten to know and spent time with and things like that. I come from America and in America, studio visits were something that only people in New York or LA or Chicago could even have the accessibility to, you know, these kinds of curators to do these kinds of visits. So like, how could average Joe Schmo on the street who maybe doesn't live in Berlin or doesn't live in a major metropolitan city, how can they access curators if they don't have the ability to do studio visits easily? Hmm. I mean, I think a lot of it is just writing on, on social media, to be honest, or even just emailing. I've, I mean, as a curator, I've approached people this way so many times, you know, 
just kind of out of the blue. And some people respond, some people don't, you know. But if you're an artist, I think it's 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 more difficult because more often than not, curators kind of they're the ones who invite people to do the studio visits. They're the ones who sort of reach out first. If you're an artist and you really want a curator to do a studio visit with you, I think, yeah, what you would still have to do would just be to to write them personally, you know? And they can decide, like, I mean, and of course you should, I would say you should like send your portfolio or send your website. I mean, I've had, I've this has happened to me, you know, it happens to me all the time where someone writes me and they say, you know, can we have a chat? Can you give me some feedback about my work? And they don't send me anything, you know, they don't send me examples of their work or, uh, and I'm kind of like, no, <laughs> because yeah. I don't have time for that. And also like, you didn't really prepare well. It's like, if you're going to reach out, give me something to work with, you know? But what I'm thinking about is, is that like in like, so you're in Berlin an artist in Berlin could probably just contact you and, you know, you live in Berlin. You could easily just jump over there and you mm-hmm. can make an appointment, go to their studio. But what about the people who are all over the world? You know, these potential people who are listening to this podcast, literally all over the world, who don't live in cities where there are independent curators who can easily come and visit their studios. Yeah. How can how can they connect with curators? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think they could do online studio visits. I've done plenty of those where people literally show me their work on their phone and we're on a call like on FaceTime or something like that. But otherwise, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I guess you would really just have to put your stuff out there online, you know, and really work towards like having an online presence if you don't physically live in a, in a place where there's uh, that many, you know, resources. But also, yeah, for me, I mean, I guess it's it's not so it's not so often that I would say artists who are already working in the field or something would be the ones who are writing me for a studio visit. Uh, it's more the other way around. I feel like I'm courting them, if anything. But yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing you can you can really do is like work on your online presence somehow. Well, I was going to say because to me, there's a little bit of a disconnect there because you said you court artists instead of artists courting you. But the question is, is how do they sort of even get on your radar? How do you even know them in order to be able to court them? Yeah, I guess I see them by going to, you know, going to exhibitions or going to, say, art schools, you know, diploma shows, you know, Instagram, I mean, online, like they kind of already have to be out there. They already have to have had, have, yeah, kind of produced work and put it out there. Otherwise, I'm, I'm never going to find it, you know? Okay. What about, so tell me more about social media. How much do you use it? How much do you like it? <laughs> Which platforms are working better for you? How much time do you waste on it versus how productive are you actually on it? I waste so much time on social media. Um, <laughs> it's, it's embarrassing and I, I have to stop. I, I've been like logging out and sort of uh, trying to ignore my phone recently, but I think for me, like there was a sort of huge burst of, I guess, content like on Instagram specifically, starting from maybe, I don't know, like three years ago, four years ago, where artists just started posting and, you know, putting all their stuff, all of their, all of their work, photos of their work on Instagram. And this was really interesting because it was, you know, artists who didn't live in my city. And so it was kind of, amazing to see what people were doing elsewhere and not just in big cities, you know, but more in like periphery cities, I guess. 
in this way, I think I, I found a lot of people through Instagram. I really owe it to Instagram for, for kind of connecting me with people. And I feel like I have a lot of sort of friendships, even that just started with Instagram, where artists and I would, you know, start writing each other and then be like, hey, I love your work. Oh, I love yours too. Oh, let's, let's do something, you know? So that's actually been great. And, uh, but I think now I would say that I don't use it as much because I feel like I'm honestly just, it's like oversaturated. I just, I'm so overwhelmed by how much content is on there now that I actually cannot really uh, differentiate between like any, anything anymore. So I'm kind of getting away from it now. I would say that I haven't really used Instagram that much for, for yeah, writing people anymore. Now I'm kind of going back to my usual ways of like really just looking at exhibitions or art blogs, you know, people's websites or getting recommendations from friends, things like that. Because I feel like I just got way too overwhelmed (laughs) by social media. Well, I think social media is overwhelming. I mean, that's sort of my leading question is basically Mm -hmm. like, how do you use it? Because I have a lot of difficulty with it because there's just the sheer volume of whatever i mean you could type in you know whatever painting and you're going to get millions of results yeah how you simply filter through all of the crap Mm -hmm. because the the thing that bothers me about social media is that the amount of likes you get or whatever followers to a certain extent has nothing to do with the quality of your work as much as it is the quality of how you use social media Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, does, it doesn't mean great work. It just means you're a great public relations person. Well, that and also, I mean, I think it's a lot about how you present the work for social media. So a lot of it's about just like documentation, right? And yeah, I found myself, I, I felt, I started to feel really shallow, I guess, after a while, seeing a lot of works only on my phone or something. And I just felt like I would, yeah, I would like stuff. Uh, very quickly and then I would realize oh no like I'm only (laughs) I'm only seeing the 2d version of this I can't just be so shallow or something I can't just uh, make that judgment without seeing it because it's not fair and I think yeah you're exactly right it doesn't really show anything except that I mean of course this isn't always the case but it's uh, a lot about just you know picking and choosing aesthetics and then kind of making them look relevant for now and and relevant for 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 social media or something Whereas like, you don't know if it's actually very deep <laughs> or not. Not only that, like I've got friends of mine who are like amazing painters. I'm thinking of this one painter in particular, and he is horrible with hashtags. So he okay. does beautiful paintings, but because he's bad with ha- tagging it in any way, nobody sees it. Hmm. I mean, I haven't used a hashtag in a very long time. I don't, are, are people still using those? <laughs> I don't know. How, how do people find things otherwise? Yeah. How, how do they find something new? How do they find something new? I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's more, I don't know, for me, like I'm following galleries, I'm following the art blogs, and I feel like that's how I, that's how I see people or, or people are just tagged, that kind of thing. But yeah, if you're just in your studio and you're posting stuff, yeah, it would be, it would be hard. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I'm thinking of like the, the beginning entry level people who are just trying to get going. Mm-hmm. How, you know, how do they even break into that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have an answer because I think also, uh, things change so quickly now, you know, one, one app, uh, gets trendy and then we stop using it and another one pops up, you know, so it's hard to, uh, it's hard to keep, keep up. 
I think. What's the next app? Have you found a new app that's better than Instagram? <laughs> no, <laughs> I haven't at all. I I don't want to know, actually. <laughs> I think I'd rather, I, I don't know, I'm trying to maybe make an effort to be a little bit more local as opposed to just online all the time because <laughs> it's exhausting. So, Yes, it is. All right, back to your practice. So I know that you do both group shows and solo shows. Do you have some preference when you're doing your curatorial work? Do you Would you prefer to be doing more solo shows or more group shows? I wouldn't say I have a preference for, for either one. I think, like I can give you an example. This year, I'm not curating that many group shows because I, I curated a lot last year and I just felt kind of tired. <laughs> And a bit like burnt out because I feel like, well, group shows are just a lot more work for a curator, obviously, because it starts with your idea and you are the one who's bringing everything together and kind of dealing with all these different personalities. And so it's just so much, it's a lot of research too. Whereas solo shows. Hurting cats is what it is. (laughs) And yeah, solo shows for me are, you know, a little bit, I would say, less work intensive and I sort of fall back into this like supportive role which I I enjoy so much just being a part of a support system for an artist when they're making new work giving them feedback things like that so it's it's really yeah it really depends I mean but at the same time like I couldn't do I know I wouldn't be able to do only solo shows because that would be I would feel like you know my it wouldn't be creative enough or something. I think that I, I also need to work out my own issues and interests and, and things like that through uh, group exhibitions. So yeah, I would say I like both of them. I need, I need both of them kind of, there has to be a balance. I've got a question for you. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to, Okay. okay? but I'm going to ask it anyways. You can decide when I'm done. How do curators get paid? <laughs> I'm happy to answer that for you. <laughs> well, because well, well, I've heard stories, okay? So, that, I mean, of okay. course, there's the yeah. flat flat fees that oftentimes are basically paid, stipends, honorariums, which generally are never enough money. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I've also heard stories about for-profit galleries or commercial galleries paying percentage of sales. Okay. Do you do any of this stuff? Or how do, how, how do you, you know... It, Basically, how do you cobble together a living by doing just this one thing? So I told you that I'm always doing 10 projects at a time. <laughs> and this is why. For me, I, if I get paid, <laughs> I usually ask for a flat fee. And this can be negotiated, I mean, depending on the budget of whatever space I'm working with. It's never like hourly, but it's, yeah, it is more or less just an honorarium, basically. It never reflects the amount of hours that take that it takes to organize an exhibition. It's always almost like a symbolic fee in a way, which is very sad. <laughs> I, I don't know if it will ever change, I guess, which is a bit like disappointing in a way. But in terms of getting commission fees or percentages, I have also heard that to be true. And that's happened for me only one time in my entire career. And it wasn't at a commercial gallery, but it was actually at a project space. So at this project space, I received no fee whatsoever. I just did the project completely pro bono. And they said, well, if anything sells, you'll get 10%. And actually one work sold. <laughs> so that was 
you know, but of course I had zero expectations because I, I never think about the art selling. I, I kind of can't think that way. I guess I, I'm just sort of in a completely different universe that way because I never deal with like the selling or the dealing of artworks as, as an independent curator. It doesn't really, I don't really come into contact with that kind of stuff. So don't take this personally, but like, I feel like independent curators more or less are curators that just simply haven't found an institution that they want to work for full time. Like, I feel like being an independent curator is something for people to do earlier in their career to, mm -hmm. do, you know, cut their teeth, do some things, try different, working for different types of institutions and organizations, whatever, in order to find out sort of where they fit best so they can get to that point where they have a full-time job and yeah. they don't have to hustle for the money and they can just, you know, be somewhere. I think the older you get, the, t the more tired you get of chasing paychecks. So obviously like that's on my mind very often, but I still, I kind of value my own time. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've worked for institutions before I've worked for other curators underneath them and things like that. And I always, at least for me personally, I felt like working for their vision or other people's visions was very demotivating for me. And I don't know if that makes me like spoiled or kind of like a brat or something, but I just never was able to work as well as I work now when the projects are completely my responsibility and like my sort of, you know, concept or something like that. So I think I, I still can't imagine myself working at an institution because I just, I also don't like office culture. <laughs> and paperwork and, paperwork. and meetings. Yeah, and I've already done that, and I feel like I, uh, I, I, as of now, I, I don't feel any desire to go back to this sort of office space, kind of, you know, highly scheduled type thing. I really enjoy kind of uh, making my own schedule, and yeah, I mean, but of course, it's it's also very like, uh, it can be really, really tiring doing that too, and also very frustrating when you don't get paid or you don't know what's happening next month. So I think it would be for me, like, I would be finally just settling into, yeah, realizing that, like, I want a more stable life, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm married and I'm planning on having a kid in the near future. So, like, the idea of having some sort of stability is very desirable. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's desirable for me, too. But I guess I, in a way, I'm still okay with what I'm doing now. You just haven't found the right place yet. That's all. It's fine. <laughs> you give yourself time. You're young. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of, I also like just, you know, I, I travel a lot for work and I guess I, I enjoy that a lot too. And I, I don't know if that would, if that would be possible, I guess, if I was really tied to, to one place. But actually you just interviewed Mikhail Novotny and he travels all the time. So <laughs> maybe that's not true. <laughs> It, it depends on the place. That's the thing. It's just finding the right place. So yeah. Certain places will be more accepting and encouraging of certain attributes. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right place. I mean, I, I've worked, I've been working with Polanski Gallery now for like three and a half years and I really enjoy that. So I think it's also just about like the people and people that you work with. You mentioned something earlier about honorariums and stipends and all this. I've been hearing stories about the idea that there's like a push to pay artists okay. for 
participating in group exhibitions and things like this so give them some sort of honorarium or stipend is this a normal thing like i'm still new to europe at institutions i would say often artists get a fee so if they're invited to you know say say they're not making new work necessarily but they're invited to a group show that they are showing a video at or something they've already produced the work you know they've already put the money into into that but often the institutions will give them a, a fee just for participating like yeah a participation fee for commercial galleries at least in my experience that's not true because the work is for sale so you wouldn't give them a fee necessarily because you're hoping that the work would sell right but yeah i mean there's all different ways if you're at a project space no one gets anything <laughs> and that's to be expected so but yeah yeah i've i this definitely happens I don't think the fees are necessarily very big, but it definitely, yeah, it definitely exists. I'm of the opinion that the existing art market is broken in many different ways. And so I want to hear your input on the perspectives that you think are not working in the arts industry and how we can make some changes to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm also, I'm a bit cynical as well, or very cynical, I guess. I, I don't, really believe, of course, that the, the, the art industry is fair or sustainable or anyhow, you know, outside of, you know, just basically capitalism. I think that it all kind of is controlled by uh, everything else that every other sector is controlled by, which is like greed and rich people, basically. No, no, rich white people, I believe is it. <laughs> You don't, you don't see these people necessarily, but they're definitely the ones who are behind closed doors controlling everything. And for me, I try to, I try to avoid this as much as possible, but of course I know that I can't. But I think, I, I wish I had more answers, but I would say that I think like the best thing that sort of individuals can do is just try to like build communities or have sort of support systems because I don't know I don't know if like anything at the top is going to change anytime soon. <laughs> so I think like, yeah, it's, it's hard to say what to do or how to change things um, when you don't really have any resources. Like for me, I, you know, I don't have any capital. I have social capital, but I don't have like any financial capital or any power sort of. So it's, yeah, it's difficult. You'd be surprised how much power curators have. I feel like curators are the gatekeepers for the entire arts industry <laughs> because all the people below it, the artists, we need the curators to help us connect with collectors, institutions, and galleries because mm -hmm. generally artists are very bad with that that. Uh, interpretation like an artist will show up to a gallery and say hey i've got this beautiful work you should sell it and they're just going to go why yeah and a, a curator is very good at translating an artist's idea into some sort of you know way to address it to a collector or an institution or a gallery in a ways that artists generally are very bad at doing yeah yeah i can understand that i mean gatekeeper is it's tough, but yeah, I, I, I can see where you're coming from, definitely. I am looking at this from the perspective of a practicing artist. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, of course, the institution is trusting the curator to make the right decisions, so. Which they generally would not trust an artist. 
Right. I mean, yeah, you can't really, as an individual artist, you can't just approach a gallery that doesn't, that like never works out. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you need this kind of, yeah, translator, like you said. How do you foresee the future of the art world going forward, coming out of this pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I would say that I'm not too optimistic. I feel like a lot of people tried to, or I've read a lot of essays where people are trying to be optimistic about it and saying like, this is the time where things should change and this kind of like, we we are the virus type stuff. And I, I just, I feel like the status quo hasn't been shaken enough in order for it to be sort of really changed in a way. So I, I just have this kind of feeling that things will more or less go back to normal. <laughs> and in the art world, I... I can only imagine that things will get a little bit worse for for individuals. Berlin, for example, has a lot of you know artist-run project spaces where people are more or less like paying out of pocket, you know, to to create like great projects and things like that. And I, I think that yeah, like it's it's hard to sustain that right now, and I'm sure it'll be hard to sustain in the future too. You see, you know, galleries are closing all the time, so I feel like in a way we might see this even bigger gap between like very, very successful and wealthy artists and galleries. And then the smaller ones are all kind of like disappearing. And I have a feeling that that will keep happening, unfortunately. Well, which is going to make your job even more difficult as well. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, of course, then my jobs also disappear. I would, you know, start getting invited less and less to curate exhibitions basically, which always concerning for me. Well, but I mean, there are other roles. I mean, I keep hearing about, which admittedly I'm really bad at this, but like I've never actually gone to do like a virtual exhibition. Mm -hmm. I'm putting that air quotes because that just feels like an air quotey kind of thing. Yeah. But the, the um, I mean, what about the idea of like curating virtual exhibitions and things like this? Is this something you're thinking about? Well, this is actually something I'm doing right now. There's one exhibition that should be, or that should have opened at Futura. And of course, we all wanted to keep, you know, working together and working on something, but we can't have a physical exhibition because all galleries are closed. And so we just decided to do kind of a virtual one. And I think that this is a really nice idea, but I also, I still consider it to be a substitute to the real thing. I don't want to consume art, like first and foremost, just online. I would rather it be kind of like a surrogate for real life. <laughs> so I'm excited about this virtual exhibition because it, we obviously have a lot more freedom. Like we're not confined to any space or sort of any amount of content we can put on this website that's coming up or that we're creating right now, which is great, but it's also, it's completely flat <laughs> at the same time. So there's sort of pros and cons to this, I think. And I don't know, for me, I really like, I just, I love seeing art in real life. And I think that um, a lot, a lot just goes missing when you're only seeing stuff online. But of course, it's, it's good that both exist. Definitely. I think it's important that both things exist. Because of course, if you're not able to, to go out to exhibitions, or you like, yeah, you don't live in a city where there's a lot of art going on, then online is like, the best thing that you can do. You can do so much research. But yeah, I think I think it's good that both of these things are sort of up and running. You, you have to just expect nothing. That's the only way it works. Otherwise, you're going to be disappointed all the time. 
Oh yeah, that's pretty much my state of being. Okay. <laughs> you know, I consider myself a a pessimistic optimist. Okay. So I, I hope for the best, but I prepare for the worst. Yeah. Always. That makes sense. <laughs> You kind of have to yeah. do it or else you're you're going to be crushed constantly yeah. by having too high expectations and life, people, work, whatever, not living up to those expectations. Yeah, I agree. Yes, it's soul crushing, I know. All right. <laughs> Last little bit. Uh, any advice for young people who are thinking about getting into the curatorial industry? You mean like how to break out into it or... I mean, if somebody's even in school and thinking about where they're going to go with their arts degree or whatever, and they're just thinking, maybe I'll be a curator. If I'll be, a, maybe I'll try that out. And, <laughs> or somebody who's starting to be an independent curator and is making, you know, maybe making a lot of mistakes. And maybe you could tell them some mistakes that you made so that they don't have to make them. Yeah. All right. I mean, I guess I would say first, don't do it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I are you say. though really <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well it it takes a special person to be a good curator because it, it takes a personality style that not everybody has yeah yeah i would say like expect nothing <laughs> that's a good way to start but i think well i'm trying to think of what mistakes i made i think that it's really important not to be intimidated by artists or artworks or art <laughs> at all because in the beginning I was just extremely intimidated by everything that was happening and if I was curating a show I, I for example I wouldn't even want to touch the art because I was afraid that I would break it or that it was kind of like sacred or something it is sacred I, I think it's like very very stressful to work that way where everything is so important and I would say like maybe it's good to go into this just like saying like none of this matters <laughs> and you're really, you know, people are really just doing it for themselves. And um, it's uh, it's a nice way to like, yeah, demystify, I think the whole process of uh, exhibition making, because for me, I was like always caught up on very, very tiny details of something that I had done wrong or yeah, it made, it made things like very stressful. And I think I was stuck on, I was sweating the small stuff. So maybe just go into it with a little, I wish that I had more confidence, I guess, going into it in the beginning. And even though you're totally faking it, I think it's okay. It's better to do, try to do things with confidence somehow. But also like treating people well is really important because, I mean, this is true in every field, of course, but I think the reason why people want to work with me again and the reason why I have such good kind of working relationships is because I try to be like, yeah, as respectful as humanly possible to people and to their work. And it's important not just to kind of show up and like be an asshole and <laughs> I don't know, boss people around because curators have this kind of, or curators can tend to have this kind of reputation. Oh, so can artists. Don't sure. kid yourself. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I've, so many of my artist friends complain to me like, about curators, you know, not respecting them or not telling them what's going on or just totally, I don't know, like, yeah, bossing them around, this kind of stuff. And I feel like I would never want to do that because at the end of the day, it's the curator and the artists. And that's like the whole, that's the whole thing, you know, that's the whole relationship. So if you're not good at that, then it's like, I would say, don't, don't do it <laughs> then. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny how it takes a certain personality type. When I was in high school, they made us take a like an aptitude test where they tried to tell you what professions to go into. Okay. Did you take this? Yeah, did. I did you do one of those? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. They, they told me I should either be a curator or a mortician. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I guess you can see some similarities. I think it's the working alone autonomy kind of things. Mm-hmm. I get all, get all that, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, but that's pretty interesting because I I mean I had no idea what a curator was until I moved to Prague. Really, like I had never heard of one or come into contact with with anything like that. So, it's interesting that it was on your test. <laughs> yeah, in Washington D.C. Yeah, they, that's what they came up with. Yeah, <laughs> really good to make mistakes because you sort of have to learn that way. It doesn't make sense to try to be, try to do things perfectly from, from the bat. I think, I think that things are always going to happen where, or like, yeah, problems are always going to arise with exhibition making. So again, yeah, it is like good maybe to have your expectations lowered or just kind of accept the fact that things aren't going to go your way. And I would say, try to be like flexible (laughs) and understanding and it's also good to try and be a little bit spontaneous or try to, I guess I try to be like a problem solver somehow. So instead of getting really upset, if something goes wrong, I try to be the person who's like, okay, what are our options? Because of course, dealing with art, it's like for artists, it's like very sensitive. It's their work. And it's, of course it happens all the time that things go wrong. So I try to be helpful in that way, I guess, instead of, you know, also freaking out (laughs) or something. They just try to be like, yeah, kind of figuring out logistics. It's a lot, it's just a lot of figuring out logistics, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah. It, I mean, it's making a plan A, but already having a plan B and C and D yeah. in case whatever goes wrong or whatever yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. And I think also not, I would try to like, I, I try to also take the emotions out of if plan A doesn't work because it's really easy to be disappointed. And I think then it can kind of like ruin your working relationship with an artist. If you can, you, I don't know, you sort of don't give any flexibility or don't accept that like things don't always work out or something like that. You know, there's always these like parameters or, or it, it kind of, if you're like working in a space and say the wall isn't the right material or something, so we can't hang that or the work didn't show up in time. So we can't, you know, add this or the video doesn't work or whatever. It's like, I don't know. For me, I, I like I said before, I used to get really, really upset about these things and just, you know, think it was like the end of the world if we had to do something in a different way. And I feel like since I've sort of changed <laughs> changed my ways and kind of just tried to, yeah, become more of a problem solver, like things have gotten a lot, a lot better. And I feel like the artists also appreciate that too, because of course you're always working with time constraints and material constraints. And it's just a lot of like putting puzzle pieces together almost, you know? So yeah, I guess just try to be flexible. Of course, I'm like a control freak, but I would say I'm really working on it. (laughs) So yeah, try not to be too controlling as well. It just makes for a much more pleasant experience, I think, if if you have a better working relationship. At a certain point in my life and in my career, I was that horrible, arrogant bastard that thought his art was somehow spectacular and I was not enjoyable to work with and Mm -hmm. I was not fun and supportive. And it cost me 
a lot of potential friends and exhibitions and and networks things that um yeah hurt hurt my career for a okay. while there and so like now i'm trying to more or less sort of make amends for like oh shit i was a complete prick and a very arrogant like yeah. to the point that my friends used to joke about it, just how arrogant i was but oh, no. <laughs> it's okay it, it was what it was and you learn from your mistakes and you move on and you try and do better next time mm -hmm. but but it's hard because like in the art world when it all comes down to the end all be all of it all your reputation is everything mm -hmm. and, and your name is your reputation so like if people start being like oh <clears throat> that guy matt he's such an ass <laughs> like yeah you know it doesn't even matter if i made amazing artwork if they didn't like me they didn't want my mm -hmm. artwork they didn't mm -hmm. want to work with me they didn't want to exhibit me they didn't want to whatever me because they didn't like me as a person yeah yeah so yeah, I was that person. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you've reformed. <laughs> uh, it's always process. Yeah. Gotta try. Yeah. I think, I think for me, I had the opposite. I've always had the opposite problem where I'm like incredibly insecure. <laughs> oh no. Arrogance is I mean, yeah, insecurity. I mean, yeah, but I don't, I guess I show it or like showed it outwardly in a very, very different way. Like when I was just starting out, I, I wouldn't even call myself a curator because I was too scared. Like I was too scared to fail. So I would just say I'm an aspiring curator. <laughs> even after I'd already curated like plenty of shows, I still couldn't even tell people that's what I was doing because I was too afraid to like put myself out there. Once you put yourself out there, you're ready to be judged and ready to fail. And I was just too afraid of that. And so that's why I was also like, I think you read this other interview that I did recently, but I also used to hide, like when I would write my texts, I would hide behind, you know, philosophers quotes and other things like that to kind of like validate my work or something. I mean, I think that I have always just been like very, very afraid of putting myself out there in this way. And one thing that helped was just like, again, like working a lot because <laughs> then you don't have time to be too nervous or something that really helped actually. But I still feel that way, of course, like it's, it never really goes away. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I, I can be so um, influenced by like one one negative comment or something like that you know if someone doesn't I, I you can hear lots of like positive things all the time and of course if one person says something negative then you're just like uh like gutted <laughs> you know but yeah it's I, I i don't know i'm trying to get over it i guess very very slowly <laughs> i take xanax I okay that <laughs> yeah that's that's definitely the drug of choice for a lot of people in the art world <laughs> I don't do it a lot, but I mean, it's sometimes it's, I feel it's a bit necessary in certain yeah. situations. Gets but, you through. Yeah. Gets you through the day. <laughs> it does. Yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you too.